Hello and welcome back for episode D of the A to Z for 20-somethings in the 21st century. This episode is a little special because my guest for this week brought so much insight we did a retake where she joined me for the whole episode. Our 20-something expert for this week is Svenja Dupenbecker. She joined us for this episode because as well as being my dating app guru, she is dyslexic and has experienced depression both personally and through the lives of her friends and family. We also discuss a few other D-words that impact the lives of 20-somethings far and wide this century. Ready for our dulcet tones? I thought so. Hello, Svenja, and welcome. <laughs> Hi, Sunny. <laughs> Thank you for joining me again. For the listeners back home, this is actually our second take on this podcast. We just, <laughs> we'd realised we had so much to talk about that we had to just make this extended guest edition of episode D. Yeah, hopefully round two goes a bit smoother. (laughs) Less rambling. So without further ado, we can start with D is for dating apps. So this is the initial reason why I wanted you on the podcast as my dating app guru. You've got a lot more experience with dating apps than I do. So I'm definitely not a guru. (laughs) Let's just make that clear. (laughs) Far from it. I mean, there's not really like a scale of guruism, but uh, for me, (laughs) you've got a lot of knowledge. I've been, yeah, slaving through single life and yeah, going through a few bad dates. So got a few stories. Yeah. Apparently, millennials spend 10 hours a week on dating apps. 10 hours? 10 hours. That's, that's just like a waste a of time. working day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a part-time job. Um, <laughs> it really is. I definitely do not spend 10 hours. Maybe that's where it's all going wrong. Maybe, maybe I need to invest more of my life into it. <laughs> Sorry, I need to cut down to four days a week at work. <laughs> <laughs> you need to reserve those 10 hours specifically for finding your one through dating apps. <laughs> yeah. I need to put in some time in my love life. <laughs> one day a week. So what's the rundown of the hottest dating apps? There's, I looked up and apparently the top six for our generation, the 20-somethings, are Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, OkCupid, Plenty of Fish, Coffee Suits, Bagel, and oh, wow. Match. What, what even are those last two? I've not even heard about them. Hilariously, I'm literally only on one. So I think maybe this is, again, where it's all going wrong. I'm not putting in the, the 10 hours and I'm not on enough apps. <laughs> I think I'm learning a lot from this. If anything, Senny, you're the guru today. <laughs> What was the bagel one? Coffee suits bagel. Does everyone go on a bagel date in a suit? <laughs> and have a coffee? It's just basically only for like banker wankers. Or <laughs> yeah, if you, only if you work in the city and you're close to a bagel shop. Yeah. <laughs> That's the criteria to get on this app. Not had bagel in a long time. You give, you give me ideas for lunch as well. <laughs> so which apps are you familiar with? So I used to be on tinder when that used to be the only dating app and i tried bumble once back in the day but yeah pretty much i've only been on a hinge that's definitely like the only thing that me and my friends are all on i think that's like the most commonly used dating app especially in the uk so 20 something yeah yeah oh yeah i guess that's the that's the thing to note yeah we are in our end 20s now technically and my housemate's little sister is in her early 20s and they all use tinder 
So they actually, in their eyes, Hinge is actually like for old people. <laughs> so um, we're those old people. <laughs> I think it's interesting though that the, the market for dating apps has even been defined by like early or late 20s and that Tinder's still going strong considering it was, wasn't it one of the first dating apps? Mm. Yeah, it's surprising that Tinder's actually still going strong, especially because it did get coined back in the day as like a hookup app. So, you know, to get an easy shag. So I think it did get some bad press back in the day, but I don't know, maybe that's, you know, just what some people do use it for. But I've heard of others since then. So one that I found out about the other day is called Field. And it literally, you kind of, apparently you just put into the app, essentially like it's all up front. It's like, what are you looking for? I'm just looking for you know, getting a shag. That's it. Oh, really? Was well, there like a drop-down menu and you just do shagging? <laughs> just lay. <laughs> I just want to get laid. <laughs> Thank you. Where Tag to me. get laid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've, I've actually not been on it, but we were talking about it the other day in our flat and, and one of us did look it up and it is just very upfront. The website's quite funny. Yeah, you can literally like say kind of like what sexual orientation, like what you're after like I think you could probably even say like I want a threesome like that'd be one of the drop down menus exactly I'm pretty sure that'd probably (laughs) be on there because it sounds like it's just really up front which is like I don't know in a way kind of refreshing because sometimes that is just what you want in a way like sometimes that is what you're looking for and maybe we just need to be less prude about it because sometimes you know you do beat around the bush a bit and I don't know I think I think dating back in the day was completely different. Like it was more like courting, and so now you know we're we're liberated, and we might as well just be like, you know what, I'm a gal who's just looking for a shag. So you you know you might as well just be upfront and say it. So I don't know. So some of the some of the boring you know chit chat they sometimes have with some people, but I don't know. I guess I'm a bit more traditional in that sense. I kind of like to go on a little date, get to know them a bit. <laughs> I just want to get to know you before I shag you. <laughs> I think there are quite a few different apps like popping up that are like for the different different types of people because yeah like like I said with the, with the bagel one like that's probably more for like city people or there's also like a few apps that are like or websites that are like exclusive and you need to like be invited and oh, really think, yeah yeah and I think you have like an interview even like to get in to be allowed because it's kind of like it's for the elite percent oh. like a referral like they can vouch that you are the same level of you know, banker wankerness. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got against bankers? <laughs> yeah, basically, I <laughs> I can honestly say that if any banker shows up on my profile, it's just an, pretty much an immediate X. That's savage. Oh, God, I'm going to have so many people write <laughs> on this podcast, like, I'm a banker, I'm a good person. <laughs> but do you, do you think dating apps have made you more savage in your dating profiling? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think I think it's made everyone have a different kind of mindset of dating. That essentially that you can be really picky because there are so many people out there, and then you see, like you can just be like, oh well, you know, this is he's what I look for in like personality. Like he seems really funny with his comments because like on Hinge, you have like three comments that you can put, and that's pretty much how you can get your personality across. And like sometimes you can be like, oh, he seems like he has a great personality. But, yeah, he's not really my type, so no. Which, at the same time, it's like, yeah, you do have to find them attractive. But at the same time, like, it just means that you are just like, oh, there is definitely someone else, like, out there who'd probably have the whole package. So, like, there's definitely more of a kind of 
the grass is greener mentality from dating apps because you you do just see yeah so many different types of people and you think oh no I can do better and I don't know you'll match with someone and Mm. the conversation might just run dry a bit and then you're like oh well it doesn't matter like you sometimes just like give up a bit too Mm. soon so why do you think dating apps are so popular with 20-somethings oh well definitely during corona times like you know you aren't even seeing anyone at the moment so there's not even any opportunity to like bump into people and be like hey (laughs) and have like yeah a little bit of a flirt and I don't know so you but even before that I think it was the why did you turn to dating apps well I yeah I only actually went on them about a year ago at my previous relationships I'd always met them naturally in person um (laughs) but then yeah then I was single for over a year and I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll give the dating apps a go. And yeah, it definitely is like, you know, you can easily like match with some people. It gives you a confidence boost for sure. And then, you know, you sometimes have just really nice conversations and maybe like that's where it ends. Or yeah, you then like organise a date and yeah, just have you can have a really fun evening and sometimes it make, like develops into something. So it definitely does make it a lot easier to meet people and have some fun experiences mm. and like I said to get laid <laughs> sometimes <laughs> that's all you're on it for I think 20 somethings are on it also because like we are sometimes a bit too scared to like approach people in person sometimes and mm. I think maybe especially for guys like it's just so much easier to take rejection if it's like through screen like you know you don't really feel the same rejection as if you went up to a girl and asked them out or just you know even start you know just talking to them in a bar like if you just you know go into your pocket and pick out your phone and you know message a few gals if you don't hear anything about it it doesn't matter really Mm. like it's not such a big blow as if you had it in person but at the same time I think no one approaches anyone in person anymore so I kind of think like I for one wouldn't really turn anyone down if they approached me in person unless they were particularly like weird because <laughs> um, like it's just such a bold move and like I think you know I'm, I'd give them respect for that I'd be like yeah I, that's really nice you've come over and introduced yourself like yeah why not you clearly are yeah a confident guy who knows what he wants <laughs> to get laid in a <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah little do you know that actually he's he's on feed and he's like <laughs> has like frequent gangbangs and you know is really into like bondage <laughs> nothing wrong um, with that if that's the if that's the thing yeah yeah <laughs> so the best thing about dating apps i think has been awful date stories have you got any to share yeah <laughs> i've had a few questionable dates but i think one really stood out for me this summer which is yeah my go-to and I think you know a bit about the story already but for everyone listening (laughs) for the listeners so this is my first covid date when restrictions were just loosening after the first lockdown I was all excited Um, me and this guy matched he was like kind of like the look I'm into we got on really well he seemed really funny anyway arrived at the date and he was like oh I'm like over here in like a red t-shirt and I was like looking around and then like he was firstly so much smaller than like what he said which is like totally fine I'm like not heightest but like just be honest <laughs> like if you're only five nine you're only five nine you're not six foot like that's just an extreme rounding up um <laughs> <laughs> so that and then you know then he gave you like a big smile which was really lovely but then um realized that he had braces which he <laughs> did not have in any of his photos either so I kind of think like you know if it's something like that 
obvious, like visually different from your photos. You kind of, I don't know, have to have a bit of like an, you know, disclaimer. And, you know, he could have maybe put it in like a funny comment being like, something you should know about me is I might look nerdy with braces, but I'm actually a cool guy. I don't know. It's something like that. You could, you could own it. You could, you could make something out of it, but it was just a bit of a a shock. So there was that. (laughs) Then, uh, yeah, when we sat down in the park, you know, as you did after in lockdown, the only thing you could do is park dates. <laughs> he um quite quickly started asking me pre-planned questions. <laughs> so it was like a game of 20 questions. <laughs> what would you do if you were the prime minister of the UK? <laughs> um okay. <laughs> like uh, is this an interview? <laughs> Am I going to get a job out of this? <laughs> and then yeah, and then what would I do if I won 100 million pounds? I was like I don't even really know how to compute that kind of money (laughs) these are such random questions these are like questions that you used to ask when you were a teenager at sleepovers kind of (laughs) yeah yeah exactly or like an assessment center for a grad scheme like (laughs) this is not like the kind of date chat that I was expecting and like (laughs) didn't give you the butterflies no no kind of no definitely did not and I kind of like tried to always like you know I tried to answer it the best I could and then like thought like you know then I'll lead this on to like other topics because then like we were then talking about like we would you know I don't know donate some of that money to charity and then like we then spoke about like charities that were interested in blah 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 or like causes it it never really like materialized into getting into different convo because then he'd always like have another question another question prepared (laughs) oh yeah and then that one actually led on to a chat about that I should invest my money in the housing market and that I should really look at my pension (laughs) like he actually was a um a finance guy so maybe this is why I actually have my um my um <laughs> my fear of going on dates with bankers because of this awful date I guess he's not actually he wasn't he was very far from banker wanker he was really lovely but he just yeah went on about that I should be looking into my pension and investing and I've I literally have no clue about my pension so basically I would hire him as my financial advisor but I would not go on another date with him um so yeah I feel like you're scarred from this now that like you walked away with this anxiety that you're not prepared for later life like oh my god you have a boyfriend but you also don't have a pension yeah yeah no I literally had a a 40 minute journey like to get home and the whole time I was just thinking like god I really do need to look into my pension (laughs) but yeah Really nice guy, so feel bad, but you know, <laughs> I'm not on there for financial advice or to make pen pals, so yeah. What would you have any tips for other twenty somethings on dating apps? Then? I'd kind of say just yeah, don't get disheartened. I think yeah, just enjoy it. Don't take it too seriously. Laugh at the profiles. Like that's that's half the time. Like it can be so demoralizing going through like a whole evening of matches like I don't like I just said like I don't do 10 hours a week <laughs> maybe I'm not putting in the right amount of time but like I would maybe do like half an hour one evening and like that half an hour can just be so depressing because like you might not even come across one person that you find mildly interesting and that you even want to send a like to let alone send a comment and put an effort in that sense or have a conversation so like or other times that you can send out like 10 likes on one evening and be like oh my god found some amazing guys tonight and then you literally don't get any matches in return so like just you know don't take it too personally because that's definitely how I took it at first and then you know I would I would be on the app for like a couple weeks and then I'd be like oh I'm never going on there again and then I avoid the app for like another two weeks and I go back on (laughs) so you kind of are like mildly addicted um yeah it's kind of like social media so 
I think I think just yeah take it easy don't don't stress too much about it like and kind of like I've said like you might just have like nice experiences if you are looking for something really serious then maybe like something like plenty of fish is better because mm. you know we we have a friend who found his girlfriend from there and I think if you maybe looking for something serious and one of those websites is better because you literally say on it I am looking for a relationship mm. and there's like more questions and there's more detail to match you and stuff so you would recommend dating apps yeah I think so well especially because like I said like it's the only way to sometimes meet people especially during this current situation but also like in general I think our generation is now like that's the way that we date I think it would almost be odd to meet someone who isn't even on them like a single person in a even if you did get approached by someone in a bar I would be so surprised if they're not on them and otherwise you can at least meet your financial advisor (laughs) (laughs) exactly at least you can get some financial advice from it (laughs) this week's more serious footnote is depression a mental illness that has been diagnosed for many 20-somethings this decade, but is also being destigmatized by our age group. Now, I know you've experienced depression, Svenja, both personally and have supported friends with depression, yet suicide is the second biggest cause of death in young men, and it can all just leave you feeling a bit hopeless. Do you think that the 20-somethings can be emancipated from depression? The thing is, yeah, like you said, you know, I and so many of my other friends and family have suffered from a a period of depression. Mm. Some people more serious than others. Some people have been diagnosed with manic depression and, you know, something that that comes around every year, especially during like these months of like autumn and winter when like seasons are changing. So kind of like seasonal affective disorder in a way. And I think the most important thing is that we talk about it. So I think I think it's gotten better that people are starting to talk about it and celebrities are talking about it and it's becoming less of a taboo subject and mm. the stigma is slightly like is is it's not it doesn't really have the stigma that it used to have where, you know, I think if, if someone spoke said that they were depressed, I think people people would just be a bit like, Oh, okay, well I want to stay stay away from them because they've they've got mental issues. But like I think now, mental health issues in general are being spoken about so much more. And essentially, I I actually kind of don't think I know anyone who doesn't have some have has been through some kind of mental health issue mm. or has mental health issue. And like I think we really need to think about it as like it's on the same level as physical health. And it's just as important to address it and, you know, check in with yourself with mental health just as much as you would with physical health um, issues. And, like, take time off if you have a blip in your mental health or if you have a more serious mental mental health mm. issue, like, to, to speak with your family, your friends and, like, and your employers about it. Like, it shouldn't be something that we have to, like, hide away from. Like, for example, one of my really close friends has bipolar and she's, you know, applying to jobs and she was like asking me, do I say it at the beginning, like, do I put it in my application that I have bipolar? Do I say it in the first interview? At what point do I say it? Because like it's such a big part of her life. Yeah. Um, and it really does, you know, for her, it, it comes in waves um, and she pretty much kind of now has it almost like timed like she knows like at this time of year is when she kind of goes into her low and then like in summer is when she kind of goes into her high but she's kind of she is monitoring it and controlling it so yeah that's where I think like you know in no way should she then 
not get a job because of it. However, her, her employer needs to be aware of it and also needs to have like the right structure to be able to give her flexibility when she is in these kind of low moments. There was recently a, a series on Netflix, I think it was, where Anne Hathaway played someone who had bipolar and really just shone a light on it because all these um, stories were actually real life stories. It was like, it was the, the series was actually about like, relationships yeah and Hathaway like couldn't hold down this date like she, she couldn't start a relationship with a guy because she went on first date and she was in her like happy mood it was all great and then she went into a low and she literally like couldn't speak to the guy anymore she just like disappeared she then like wasn't showing up to work and then like a week later she was like on top form again and like she mm-hmm. then was like hey wh- where's this guy gone and like she's now amazing at work again but then eventually like she lost the job and she lost the guy as well and it's kind of like there's the thing and and her manager at work then meets up with her after she's lost the job and she just kind of opened up to her and the manager was like I wish you told me about this and maybe we could have you know made work work for you with your condition and I think that really that really like really made me think because there's so many people that suffer with a certain type of mental health and you kind of hide it away from your employer because you're really worried about like that you'll lose your job because of it. But actually, mm-hmm. your mental health situation could be really helped by opening up to your employer and letting them know and they could make um, appropriate changes for you. Like one of our friends who, you know, had some time off and then she had a slow return back to work of maybe like two days a week and then mm-hmm. three days a week. So I think, yeah, being open and honest about it is so important and reaching out as soon as possible and getting the help that you need I think that's like one big thing that was one huge thing for me you know I was told by my boyfriend at the time like you need professional help and I kind of was like no and I was all like embarrassed about it and I was like really I was just like I just thought like no I'm not at that level yet and you know even though I was breaking down like every day I just thought like it was shameful to go and get help in a way. Mm. I think I just didn't want to admit it to myself that I was in a really, really bad place. Um, but literally right when I made that first call to, to a helpline, I knew that that was exactly what I needed. And yeah, in the end, it wasn't actually that helpline. I actually called f- about four or five different services to try and to try and get help, um, starting with you know free services with NHS. But then the wait list was so long, I then eventually reach out to Mind, um, which is an amazing mental health charity mm, that does, um, yeah, that does discounted and and some free therapy, <clears throat> and that's in the end who I ended ended up getting um therapy with. Yeah, and I would highly highly recommend them, but just in general recommend reaching out to professional help because I think as supportive as friends and family can be, I think the most important thing is speaking to a professional because they have such a different take on it and you go through such a an important process with them um, that will allow you to come out of it literally sometimes cured <laughs> like I know it sounds a bit like um, extreme to say it that way but you know you like I was in a completely different place to where I am now so I couldn't recommend it enough. I mean, it's definitely a journey and that is so important I think that's one positive thing that's come out of you know increased depression in 20 somethings like although there are like more triggers for it like the social media the economy the debt yeah. that we're in 
even apparently because we we're unmarried and we don't have like a community necessarily that we identify with these are all triggers yeah. that i read have contributed to more depression what is great is that we are destigmatizing it and we've got a long way to go still like you said like you know it, there's still a fear of bringing up at work but by destigmatizing it and by being open to help not only once but again and again trying your hardest to overcome it because we're allowing that space for depression to exist and to be accepted and to be cured will make a big difference in the long run for our mental health. So D is also for DIY. Now, initially, oh, I sort of want to kick myself because what I actually mean by DIY is crafting, um, which has seen a huge soar in the 20-somethings. We're a lot craftier. It's been said that we just love repurposing, upcycling and reusing. And this has led to at least the Association of Creative Industries 41% of their members are 18 to 36. So that's the 20-somethings and millennials. Are you a a DIY person, Sven? (laughs) So, hilariously, my notes are completely different (laughs) to what you're talking about on (laughs) DIY. I actually wrote notes about things like, well, I've recently gotten quite into moving into a new flat and buying a lot of flat pack and, you know, having to Mm. fend for myself because we're, we're a flat of four girls. I've gotten into Shiiy. I don't know. Have you heard about that oh phrase? Oh my gosh! Yet? <laughs> <laughs> Just made me cringe. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I feel empowered as women <laughs> to get into DIY. There, there's a um a girl who I follow now on on Instagram. Giving her a little shout out. <laughs> She's written the book called Gaff Goddess. Um, Laura Debara and. Yeah, she's just got such great tips on how you can, yeah, just do basic things around the house. And like, I got her book and even gifted it to my sister at the same time because I was like, every woman needs this, <laughs> you know, like, you know, feel empowered, you know, do all, all the things in the house by yourself. So it's even things like literally like how to clean an oven properly to like how to sew on a button or like the most important thing at the moment has been like how to get red wine stains out of fabrics because <laughs> that has been a recurring issue during lockdown. <laughs> so much wine. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you bring that up because um, obviously um, I did research for DIY as well. And the one thing that I came across Uh, contrary to my initial idea that 20-somethings are very DIY, is that we don't have basic repair skills. Mm, Yeah. Which I thought was hilarious. But the reason is, is because we don't have our own homes, actually. And a lot of landlords don't support, you know, um, drilling holes. So we've actually started this huge industry of having plants having paintings lean against your wall yeah that's literally yeah that's literally our scenario or i've gotten (laughs) i've gotten obsessed with command strips like i literally have like so many different types of these command strips which are like sticky strips that like stick to your wall so i've got a few paintings or pictures up in my room and like they're just up with these sticky things which is really handy but like again yeah i i don't know how to drill a hole but like given the option i would go for that because it would like i would have then you know measured it properly so that that they had straight they kind of look a tiny bit off but yeah these strips are like temporary but it's it's not your fault as a 20 something (laughs) oh thanks so much you make me feel a lot better about that (laughs) (laughs) i literally yeah it's so true because yeah you most of the time landlords don't want you to fix things like you just get handyman around 
but hilariously we actually um we have a pretty grim chandelier in our in our living room not by choice we'd rather not have it and one of the bulbs broke a while ago and handyman was coming around anyway to do some other like fixes in the flat so they when we mentioned it they're like yeah yeah he'll just do it he's he's gonna be around anyway and a couple more bulbs broke the other week and we emailed them be like hi just to let you know like you know three two two bulbs are now gone and then like there's there's that third one as well so like you know if you if you could send someone round um <laughs> and then they were like oh we spoke to the landlord actually them um, in the contract it says that things like like bulbs aren't their problem and, all and we were like but how do we reach it it's so high up we need a ladder and then like literally I stood on a chair and I was able to do it <laughs> and we literally hadn't even like considered it we were like oh, no we can't touch it you know like I don't even know why it's just the first thing that came to our head was like we should email the agency and like I think that just goes to show just how like the lack of control and freedom we have in our own flats being renters constantly for our whole 20s it has been seen though that once 20-somethings do own their own property they're just as like diy apt as other generations so okay that's good to know so maybe (laughs) when i'm like 40 when i can afford to buy a house my diy skills will kick in (laughs) so d is also for dying plants (laughs) The 20-somethings are investing in a lot more plants because we can't do up our own houses and put things on the wall. But apparently, I I love this, I came across a a little quote saying that plants for our generation is what the generation before had with chihuahuas. Chihuahuas? I thought you were going to say children. (laughs) Instead of having children, we're choosing to have plants. Oh, no, a lot of like sources are saying that's why we have so many plants because we don't want children. (laughs) Yeah, but we want to look after something. But something that, you know, if it dies, it's not so serious. Exactly. Are you filling the void, that childless void in your life with plants? <laughs> well, I do have a lot of plants. I didn't realise that that was the void I was filling. <laughs> but I definitely am obsessed with plants. And yeah, literally, I constantly keep adding to them. So I've got literally about like 10 in my room and like a few others around the house. Like our living room is a bit of a jungle as a flat we do love them and yeah and I guess all of my friends as well are obsessed with them so I think it is probably something that's like for our generation maybe it's just more to do with I think that like we don't get out into nature that much we spend a lot of time in our homes especially during covid so like this is our way to like bring nature into us <laughs> like but yeah but the dying half plant issue is a constant issue for me it's real it's real <laughs> <laughs> the problem is real <laughs> it's yeah, endless. I just, you know, it's the thing, you can't get too attached to them, I've realised. I think it's a good lesson on attachment. <laughs> <laughs> Owning plants just to kill them all. <laughs> well, no, just not to get too attached to anything that you buy, anything, any materialistic item. Well, I guess they're not so materialistic, they're living things. But <laughs> if it, you know, if it dies on you, it dies, you know, you can't, can't get too attached. I had to put Shakira and Beyonce in the bin the other day. <laughs> <laughs> they're gone well I did kill five aloe vera plants wow and I'm not proud of it five I think that's the thing I've now learned which plants work for me which don't work for me it's kind of like relationships you kind of learn like what works for you and what what things you should steer clear from and I think you and aloe vera do not mix I think that's no but they're meant to be impossible to kill and whenever (laughs) I do tell people that I've killed aloe veras 
I mean, you know, it's it's not my. They die. It's like they're they're kamikaze plants. But then I did because so obviously they make babies. So I ended up having one and I named it Phoenix because it like got burnt, born from the ashes yeah. almost of its like dead mother. But then I didn't water Phoenix enough. So <laughs> I mean, we do name them. They're almost like children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. We do name them. That is so true. Yeah. Well, Seth, my snake plant, is my oldest plant. I've had him for probably about like six years and honestly I think I think they are the best plant like ever like they do not die on you you can't do anything wrong with snake plants so maybe you get one of them Sonny (laughs) I'll look into it if you kill one of them then never have another house plant again please (laughs) (laughs) I I also came across another great quote that said whilst most plants that we own die your student loans on the other hand those have a way of living forever oh god what a depressing <laughs> quote um don't know what to say to that yes. didn't you i found it really relatable well yeah <laughs> it's relatable and it's very true i like to think that yeah. that student loan isn't there so i don't like getting reminded about it <laughs> sorry, sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> that's why i was so many plants <laughs> to distract my thoughts from thinking about that loan <laughs> Yeah, I mean, plants are good for your mental health, aren't they? Like you said, being in nature, like, they refreshen the oxygen in your room, they bring some greenery. Yeah, but then they also give me more responsibility and more chores to do on a weekly basis. <laughs> and, and sorrow when <laughs> yeah. I die. <laughs> I, need to, I need to go back to therapy. <laughs> so, you know, they are quite low maintenance, and I remember reading that apparently plants are the preferred living... Uh, can you call them a pet? I don't know. Companion? For, <laughs> companion for 20-somethings because you can go out till 4am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And still keep your plant alive. That's so true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, my sister's recently gotten a puppy and I think I've realised, yeah, I'm not even ready for pets, let alone children. So, yeah, plants <laughs> plants are going to be my... Plants, pets, children. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put my energies into more plants. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's maybe a good test. If you can keep a plant alive, then maybe you can keep a dog alive, and then maybe you could keep a child alive. <laughs> yeah. Though we shouldn't be making these like comparisons, really. Children are not pets, and pets are not children. <laughs> no, they are not. <laughs> Hence, why I do not have them. <laughs> the final D for this week's podcast is D is for dyslexia. Now, Svenja, you are dyslexic you've been yeah. diagnosed yeah. with dyslexia <laughs> how have you found receiving support in your 20s for your dyslexia so I was only actually diagnosed during college when we met even though I'd kind of thought something was maybe like going on for a while because I'd never like finished an exam back in the day like literally I, I never got to the end and all my friends did and I was like how come you get to the end and I never do I thought that's the way that like you know exams were made so that you don't get to the end because they're so challenging so yeah, I got it for from college onwards. So for like all my college exams and uni exams, I had extra time, and I was also, I also used a laptop, um, to type, and it made it just so much easier, especially back then, to take some pressure off what are really stressful exams for that age group. And yeah, with the ability like to use a laptop, I could write things out and then change how I've written them and move things around because my thoughts don't really come out sometimes in the right order. And then like, I think with the time pressure, I always stress so much more about like 
making it perfect and because I knew that things come out of my head at the wrong time and I know that you know you Mm. plan things anyway in exams and stuff but I just knew that how my head sometimes worked just wasn't how other people's brains worked so it was really comforting to have that diagnosis eventually when I did have it and I personally didn't really struggle with feeling self-conscious about it because I just thought I was really lucky to have all these benefits from it because it really helped me but I know that other people do struggle with being open and honest about it. Like even recently at work, one of my colleagues, her daughter got diagnosed with dyslexia and she's only 10. So she was just going to secondary school and she was really like worried about getting bullied for it. And, you know, at that age, kids worry so much about being different. So I kind of, I went over to speak to her and said like, you know, how, you know, how it's not, is a bad difference. Like you'll soon realize like that actually it's kind of like your superpower, like, cause you'll, you have so many different traits because of it. And I'll get onto that later, but like my colleague brought this up at work and then someone else in my team, like quietly approached me at the end of the meeting and said like, oh, I didn't know that you had dyslexia. I have it too, but like, I'm really embarrassed of it. And she's like in her late thirties. And I was like, oh, right. And she, she literally had never spoken to anyone about it and like she was always like secret about it and she even said that her husband doesn't know and I'm just like you know that's just something that's quite like I don't think it defines me but I just think like it definitely explains Mm. me to people and and my colleagues a bit better about why I take a bit longer sometimes to to think things over or like to maybe like to read a report and then I'd want to like have a couple hours to like take it in and consider my thoughts before I actually like fed back or like in a meeting like yeah I would just my my manager would come to me last (laughs) in like if we if we'd be doing one of those rounds sometimes we would go around in a circle and someone people would share views on something and she would purposefully keep me last every time just so I had a bit more time to like consider exactly what I want to say because I also never want to just come out saying something that like I haven't really thought about I'm really particular about how I'd want to phrase things yeah it's just something that with um with time you you probably feel a bit more confident about speaking about but what I wanted to really mention to you is that my colleague recommended a website that's really amazing so for anyone that doesn't know it and um has dyslexia I would highly recommend going to uh the website called made by dyslexia and apparently they also have a podcast and it's kind of celebrities who have dyslexia and they talk about how it's affected them and why they're quite proud to call themselves dyslexic because they have different attributes because of it. And I think that's so true. The website kind of mentions that people that are dyslexic often have a bit more, you know, interpersonal skills and empathy and they see the world in a different way. And, you know, seeing the world in a different way is quite vital for everyone to, to have different perspectives. Mm. And I definitely think that's that's true for me. I am quite empathetic and yeah ironically I'm dyslexic who who works in comms <laughs> at the moment but I think why I work in comms is because I I have really good interpersonal skills like I'm really good at talking to people and understanding where they're coming from and different views that kind of a thing so yeah so I'll call out some of the celebrities who have dyslexia um just because I thought it was quite interesting um so Einstein yeah. <laughs> actually was dyslexic Picasso Richard Branson Orlando Bloom yeah, so those are some of the people who are on this website as well, and you can hear their stories. I don't think Einstein's on that um, website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, so they missed um, the podcast with him. Um, sadly, he didn't make it in time. <laughs> Funny, because Germans are usually so efficient with timing. <laughs> he didn't hold out for that podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I did find it interesting that Richard Branson had said that his dyslexia had definitely contributed to him being such a huge success because of his ability to be creative and, you know, see solutions. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is that something that you could relate to, per se, or is... Yeah, yeah, I think I think I'm quite solutions driven as well. But I guess it also is that like, I then like I'm so particular about taking in the information. So like, I'll read something multiple times to really take it in and think like, oh, okay, so this is the problem. This is the problem. <laughs> and then like dwell on that, and I'm like, yeah. And then I guess then that's like that's where like I then come up with yeah ideas and solutions, and because I really am mm-hmm. focusing on that, whereas. I'm someone who like who cannot skim read and some people I know just skim read like all the time like you know reports they would just skim read the report and like they would then like have the conclusion whereas like I will dwell on things and then by that dwelling I actually then maybe get into a deeper I I I question things a bit more and I I then like get to a deeper side of of the topic which I don't see as a negative thing. I mean I think it's great that you have such a positive outlook uh, about having dyslexia in your 20s because you know, in that in on that website that you mentioned, they do say that was it twenty percent of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one, one in five children, yeah, will have dyslexia, which means that one in five adults also have dyslexia. Mm. And I've I've just picked up on the fact that you don't really see it being accommodated for in the workplace. I mean, I work in I was working in marketing, which is full of abbreviations, and I was curious, like, have you, how do you feel about the abbreviations in, you know, the workplace? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, acronyms are used all the time where I work, and yeah, no, that that actually doesn't, that doesn't really, that's not difficult for me, but maybe that is challenging for other people because yeah, everyone will experience dyslexia in a, in a different kind of way. Yeah, I saw there's three types of dyslexia at the very least that they dis- diagnose mostly. Mm. Yeah. And of course there's dyspraxia, which is then mm-hmm. dyslexia with numbers. And it's a very broad diagnosis as well. So even though you can accommodate for one, you know, people, when they make the association with dyslexia, you always think like, oh, you mix your D's and P's up, but that's just one type. <laughs> Often people that experience dyslexia really badly, words will jump around on the page for them. So when they read something, like honestly, it, it's such a struggle sometimes for them that like, yeah, they, they can't really read. Um, there was actually a recent program on uh, Channel 4. It was just after Bake Off. Just yeah. after Bake Off. <laughs> and I, I watched one episode of it. And yeah, it just really made me um, feel for the people because, you know, I have a mild form of dyslexia, which doesn't really hinder my daily life. But like for them, they find it such a difficulty that like they can't even, you know, read a road sign or like they get to mm. a train station, and they can't even read where they're going. And then that really does change your your quality of life and how you live so luckily that hasn't really impacted me and like I've you know been able to get corporate jobs having dyslexia so like clearly I don't have it in such a bad way because I've had to do you know assessment centers and exams to get into these kind of jobs and you know write write a decent cover letter and those kind of things so it doesn't impact me that much in that sense or in the workplace but that being said because you just said like yeah what 
20% of the workplace has it. I've never, ever heard of any kind of dyslexia support or um, being mm. offered, like, I don't know, extra time. I know that seems a bit silly, but, like, you know, extra, like if I had it for exams, then in a way, like, yeah, I do need it for work as well. And, like, sometimes when you get told that there's a deadline, like, I will take more time probably than other people would but I'm also yeah. just I'm like I said I'm just more thorough and I will very rarely make a mistake like <laughs> like I know I have made some mistakes everyone makes touch mistakes but, yeah no touch wood <laughs> um but like in general I, I just check things so many times because you know so often I could easily have a spelling error so I will I'll write an email any email and I will check it five times to make sure there's no spelling errors or there's no like grammatical errors or I could just be wording it a bit smoother and sound a bit more professional. So I guess like being that thorough, like you can't really say that that's a negative. It does just take more time, but like, yeah, it's, you get better quality of work essentially. Um, but yeah, I want to bring up one hilarious thing that um, a friend said yesterday when I told him about this podcast and that I'm, I'd be talking about my dyslexia. <laughs> He knew what dyslexia was and he also knew that I had it because I'd previously mentioned it to him before. And Oh, yeah, because cause I'd mentioned that I don't really read. So I listen to audiobooks, which has really like been an absolute game-changer for me when I discovered them about like four or five years ago because I find reading really difficult. Like, it's just really draining and it will just take me forever. Like I literally could go like read a book for over a year and that's me trying to read it like maybe on a weekly basis and it would take me that long so I I got a bit disheartened I could never like keep up with friends and talk about like a book that they were reading so yeah audiobooks has been an absolute game changer for me I really love them apart from the fact that um audible is the only um service at the moment doing decent audiobooks and that money goes to Jeff Bezos which I'd rather not do (laughs) so that's a little you know caveat (laughs) um yeah but I would in general really recommend them for for anyone who's suffering from dyslexia but anyway so my friend said because I said to him before that I don't really read and he said maybe I just need to practice reading more (laughs) which I just found hilarious because that's literally like the fact that people don't understand what dyslexia is it's not like that I haven't tried to read it's not like I haven't practiced reading it's not like I had no books growing up like I used to read loads as a kid actually and I think I developed dyslexia I'm not 100% sure about the science of dyslexia if you always have it as children or if you kind of develop it or if maybe it gets worse with age I don't know but I didn't really struggle too much with reading when I was younger but maybe that was also because I was starting to learn how to read and other kids were starting to learn how to read so at that time I was at the level that everyone else is at and then you're meant to improve mm-hmm. and I never got to that level of kind of like being super quick at reading a book it just is exhausting and like I said I will sometimes read a whole paragraph and I wouldn't have taken it in and I need mm. I I will need to take that in I, I, I will just be picky about that and I will go back to the very beginning and read it all over again and yeah by the time I get to that to the end of that chapter I might have reread multiple pages multiple times <laughs> so it just takes me so much longer so I have actually bought quite a few books in lockdown and hopefully I will get around to reading them at some point but it does in a way impact my life decisions sometimes because I would really love to do a master's and at the moment I'm like on the fence about if I should do a master's or not because it would require me to go back into education and you know writing essays and reading articles and studies and things like that which Mm. you know does take me a lot of time I think it should never hold anyone back and I think 
if anyone is struggling with, with dyslexia, you know, just think about Einstein Picasso, you know? How accomplished you can be. Yeah. And it doesn't have to define you, no. And I think it is great that, you know, audiobooks are making reading accessible for people with dyslexia and just how we can slowly, hopefully see a shift in society mm. for accommodating for dyslexia and other disabilities that are hidden. And I think your attitude, your positive attitude is great, Sven. And thank <laughs> you so much for being part of the D episode through and through of the A to Z, the 20th century, <laughs> the 21st century. Oh, you're welcome. I've really enjoyed talking about it. I'm sorry that most of the topics were a bit serious. and <laughs> <laughs> But I guess yeah. issues starting with D are... Pretty damn serious. <laughs> Couldn't think of another D word to finish that off with. <laughs> Sorry about that. Thanks, Sven. <laughs> Bye. A mahoosive thank you to Svenja for joining me this week. I thoroughly enjoyed our chats on all things D, and I hope you did too. Not that you have much say in the matter. <laughs> You're welcome to send me a DM about anything you'd like to hear in upcoming episodes and otherwise I'll see you for episode E. Cheerio!